0: originally from Texas okay and um, came to Atlanta to go to seminary and so that's just kind of what um, held me there and and now what 20, 21 years later I'm, I'm still there so yeah that was the um kind of the original journey for me
1: well welcome to preacher lab for preachers just like you and I and today I get the honor and the gift and the privilege of talking with Olu Brown uh, he's currently the lead pastor at impact church in Atlanta Georgia I'm Olu thanks for being on Preacher Lab.
0: Well, well, thank you so much for this opportunity to be on your podcast. Really looking forward to it.
1: So we're going to jump right in. I know that you talk a lot about um, Easter being a big weekend, but then the weekend after Easter is just as big because um, yes. you really focus on uh, what that, if you have that many people, how do you get them coming back? Uh, yeah. So this is the week after Easter. Um, <laughs> so what are you preaching on this week to bring everybody back?
0: So we're doing a series, and it's entitled The Plug, P-L-U-G, meaning Jesus is the connection, Jesus is the source. So we're coming off of this great Easter experience. And uh, for us, uh, we call Easter Super Bowl Sunday. Now, statistically, the uh, Sunday in the Christian calendar year that has the highest attendance is Easter. And then statistically, the Sunday with the lowest is Sunday after Easter. I've always told people it's because we allow it to happen and it's typically because on the day when you see the largest number of people you don't tell them what's coming next so we always uh pump up and hype up and advertise a sermon series for at least the next two weeks. So for the next two weeks we're talking about Jesus being the plug, the connection, everything you need. So I'll be uh in the Gospel of John chapter 14 where Jesus says, I won't leave you alone. I'm going to give you a comforter. And so the title of the message is Connected, I Will Never Leave You. That's this Sunday. And we'll hang out in this series for two weeks.
1: Okay. So where are you headed with connected, comforting? Uh, What does that look like?
0: So, of course, um, most people feel the passion of Easter, in particular those who uh, have been in the Christian experience for some time, but also for individuals who may be new to Christianity, or Easter was their first introduction. Um, The hope of this series is to help people to know and understand whether you're a deeply committed Christian or you're thinking about being a Christian, you're not doing life alone. I think one of the most traumatic experiences we've gone through over the last two years of a pandemic is this isolation. So social isolation became more than this physical distance, it became emotional and spiritual for a lot of people. And what is it to realize I am not alone and I've been through a lot. I'm going through a lot. There's a lot left uh, on the horizon, but uh, Jesus promised at the end of Matthew's gospel, never to leave me nor to forsake me. And we know a big part of that is the comfort of the Holy spirit that is with us always.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you're really pulling in kind of the last two years of our experience through COVID and, and how does that, what is the words that Jesus has to speak to us?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, most people kind of preach in their own style, Uh, I tend to have three or four points. And so for me, Mm -hmm. it's about living in Christ, living in the Spirit and living in love. And if we can uh, live in Christ and um, live in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Spirit, and then live in love, uh, we will find ourselves not only being connected to God and Christ, but we'll be connected to each other, even in the midst of whatever type of social distancing you may be doing these days.
1: All right, so you said you're a bullet point preacher. How did you come to find out you're a bullet point preacher?
0: People uh, telling me, uh, <laughs> you know, one of my long, I think we're mentored in preaching in a lot of different ways. And so the mentors that I've had over the years have tended to be bullet point or point number one, point number two, three. And they may not necessarily say it, but it's structured that way. And, well, I know I'm a lot older than you, uh, and when I was coming through uh, school, uh, the way to format a paper was an introduction, three paragraphs, your three points, and then a conclusion, and you summarize it. And so, of course, I started preaching pretty early. I was a senior in high school and then doing public speaking even before that. So I was greatly influenced by my English teacher in the way to structure uh, a paper, and so, therefore, a lot of my preaching—even if I don't say point one two or bullet one two—you can really listen to it and back away from it and say, "Okay, he basically had three or four points in an intro and a conclusion." Yeah.
1: Okay, so so you obviously love English and the the written word. How do you when you think about your very first time, whether it be the paper that you wrote for your English professor or the first time you gave a sermon or a talk? How did you? What did it feel like for you? Was was that? Yeah. Did you do it? You're like. That's it. Or was it a process?
0: Well, part of our family tradition uh, on both sides. So my father was a pastor and so I grew up hearing him preach. And to me, one of the best preachers I've ever heard. He's more of a storyteller, narrative type preacher. Um, And then on my mother's side, a lot of literature. So introduced to poetry and uh, a lot of literature early on. And so uh, English and writing and all of those kind of things were a part of my life. But I then started expressing myself through the written language. And then the written language then led to the verbal, uh, whether it was debate class or doing uh, a public speech and then eventually uh, preaching and teaching. But in those early days, and I'm one of those folks, I can pull up a journal uh, that I wrote uh, a speech or a paper uh, in the sixth or seventh or eighth grade. And when I look back on those days and think about how did that feel, it felt like me being able to communicate to the world what I was feeling on the inside. And of course, that's empowering. It's freeing. It's all of those kind of things at the same time, which is what I feel often when I preach. And if there's ever a time when I'm tired uh, of preaching, and when I say tired of preaching, it may be because just life is crazy and preparing and all those kind of things, what inspires me is... Remembering those early days and this great privilege of communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world and the same freeing experience I have, uh hoping and praying through the power of the Holy Spirit, other people have that as well.
1: So that early, early notion and feeling of writing and preaching kind of sustains you now.
0: Oh, Very yeah. much so. Do
1: you Very ever go back so. and like watch <clears throat> one an early sermon or read an early like writing? Yeah.
0: You know, I, I listened to an actor once, and a very uh, well-known actor uh, in personality in a lot of different uh, TV pieces says he struggles to watch himself on TV. And I have that same experience. Um, now, I'd be a much better preacher if after I finished, I would listen and watch it. But I really do struggle to listen, and I really do struggle to watch it after it's done. Now, <clears throat> our team, every Thursday, whoever's communicating in any of our age groups, we come together and we do a preaching call, and so we practice it together. But after it's said and done, I often don't go back uh, to review it um, because, whatever the reason is, it, it's just been a difficulty. Uh, but I do encourage other people to do it. It's not a practice that I do, but I encourage others to do it. <laughs>
1: it, is, it is a weird thing to like see yourself. Yeah. Like I remember saying that. Or I remember not, I don't remember saying yes. that at all. And then watching yes. yourself with your hand gestures of like, <laughs> Oh my goodness. Oh, I really messed yeah. that one up.
0: <laughs> yeah, very much so. Um, but it's something I encourage people to do. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Okay. So you mentioned your Thursday phone call. Can, can you walk us through kind of what this week looks like for you preparing? Yeah.
0: So over the years, we've gotten a little bit better as a preaching team uh, preparing ahead of time. So we try to stay a month out. So everything I'm preaching um, in this month of April was uh, in an outline form turned in to our experience lead and our graphics person last month. And so they're able to build out the slides, you're able to tell them images, songs, or different types of text that you may want. And then when we come to Thursday, The hope is whoever's preaching, uh, you've done uh, the work on the sermon uh, and brought it from an outline to a more complete uh, text or content to share. And then for about five minutes, you give everybody on the call a summary of that sermon. And we encourage you to really talk it and preach it the way you're gonna express it on Sunday. And then uh, we ask the question, any thoughts, any uh, celebrations, any concerns, and it never fails. The folks on the team are are great in giving feedback, but it makes the sermon so much better. It also helps to edit it as well, because we've learned over the years what we think will work well may not always work well. And so that feedback is also helpful. And then so after the Thursday call, if there are any edits, you um, make those edits and essentially resubmit it. Or you submit the edits and then the person who helps build the graphics uh, on Friday or Saturday will send you the slide, you know, presentation of each of the points or each of the moves or stories or text and uh, take one last look at it. And then uh, it goes in in a sense, upload it. We use a software called ProPresenter. And then on Sunday morning, we kind of do the same thing again. So everyone, most churches would say pulpit. We say stage. Everyone who's presenting from the stage has the practice before. So we have three experiences, uh, 8, 10, and 12. Uh, Part of our team arrives between 6 and 6.30. And then around 7.30, we're uh, rehearsing the music, and then whoever's uh, the liturgist, if you will, uh, we call them worship facilitator, or whoever is preaching will come on the stage and we will go through uh, our message, not in real time necessarily, but just to make sure all the points and the moves are uh, where we want them to be. And even in that moment, there may be some corrections. Now here will is where it really comes into play. And I know there are some who are uh, listening to this. They don't have multiple worship experiences or services on Sunday, but if you do have multiple, you never preach. Uh, If you preach the same sermon, you never preach it the same each time because there's always an adjustment. There's always a learning. And so That may be why I don't watch it again because I've preached it three times and I hope, you know, by the third time it's better. But here's what happens to me. And I know you didn't ask for all this. Sometimes I feel it's the best at the first and then it just kind of goes downhill from there. So uh, it it all depends.
1: Yeah, yeah. Gosh, I found that same thing of, because I haven't preached it live before. And that first (laughs) one is like the very first time. And if I think it's good, I want to match it do yep. the exact same yes. thing. And then I'm like, yes. oh, no, it's not the same feel. It's not the same congregation. Mm-hmm. That joke mm-hmm. that went wonderful the first service, yes. nobody laughed.
0: Very uh, much so. And it's like, yeah. you're not
1: in that moment. So, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah. so interesting.
0: And it's almost like having multiple siblings or multiple children, each with different personalities. Uh, my son, we love uh, Chick-fil-A, and he loves this cookies and cream milkshake. And although I love the cherry and all that kind of experience, he said, hey, Dad, I don't like Cherry. So if you're preaching and you're trying to serve the same meal to each of the congregations, they're different. And I think that's a growth in preaching for all of us um, is to be able to connect with the congregation at a level um, that um, they can understand and appreciate.
1: So can you you think of an example of like when you've preached the first time and then you kind of change something up the second or third time or added something? I think that's fascinating.
0: Yeah, typically it happens when it doesn't work well the first time. (laughs) So there are stories that I plan and then there are stories in the moment. And typically if there's a story in the moment and whether it's the Holy Spirit or I see someone in the congregation that reminds me of something, whatever it may be, I don't necessarily tell it the first time with enough details. Um, And so the story may go okay, but it could have been better. For instance, if I said blue or I said a region of the world or part of the country and just gave a little bit more detail. So then when the second experience comes, I'm able to, like in sports, give a little bit more color uh, analysis of the play. And it becomes a more fulfilling story and narrative that uh, fortunately that second group uh, is able to experience differently.
1: (laughs) Everybody can go to the 12 o'clock surface.
0: Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but there are times when it may even be a better story, but it still doesn't have uh, the impact because there may have been something else I needed to adjust. And the adjustment may be don't tell the story at all. Um, and it, it's uh, preaching multiple or one. And I, I tell folks, if you have one experience, it's even more important to practice because it is one and done. So don't preach it for the first time to the people. Uh,
1: oh, gosh. Yeah. So how do you know if a sermon has impact or not? What does that yeah. What does that
0: look like? <laughs> Amazingly, the sermons that I feel that were terrible are the ones that I often get the most feedback on that people will say, oh, my God, this was amazing. I'm like, oh, my God, this is the worst sermon ever. And that just says, Olu or whoever's preaching is really not about you. It's about God. Because it's a sermon where I practiced it and I prepared. It and I'm like, man, this is going to be an A plus. And it's like, mm, crickets, you know. Yeah. yeah. But this is the one where I'm like, God, basically it's you. And in those moments, I, I believe, uh, I believe the Holy Spirit is always present in all of our messages, whatever the context. But maybe it's just a different vulnerability um, and surrender that I have internally that translates to people in that moment um, and helps them to connect. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, I, I've i never heard anybody do kind of the thing you do on Sunday um, of yeah. kind of walking through, like, yes. I, I know the musicians need to walk through, but yes. I've never thought about it as like a, a mic check for everyone. everyone. Had, had, like, w- what does that, what does that look like? What does that physically yeah. look like? Are, are you on stage when you're like preaching and you have mm-hmm. your three minute kind of notes yeah. or
0: Yeah, we're doing it real time walkthrough. And once again, if you're watching or rather listening and you have one worship experience, practicing it before is vital. And it may only be you, you're a team of one, but stand there in the pulpit or whatever it's called for your context and review um, as much as you can. So our graphics team is uh, back with the sound uh, and um, other folks are you know just kind of standing around music people are, and and so in that moment we review it and practice it and anyone can critique so a couple of weekends ago um a person from our worship team was sitting and you know it can be an english teacher any number of you know professions that people bring in these volunteer spaces in particular and she saw one of our slides and she said that word needs to be corrected, and she was right. So we missed it, and that's the other part of practicing: is you can be in your own world to where there are things that you don't necessarily see <clears throat> that need to be adjusted by people who just step in fresh. And so um, after we review it, then uh, there are sometimes we're a little bit late or later getting start, and there are people starting to come in, so they kind of get a double <laughs> sermon. Yeah, but it's a Of the culture now. Now, another thing we do, which is about preaching, but it's about the whole of the experience, is we're big on words and language that represent our values and our culture as a church. So we would review from time to time what's hot and what's not. Uh, And this is important for people who are on the pulpit or on the stage, and they're communicating uh, online or in person. So, for instance, we don't call it a worship service. We call it a worship experience. Um, We may use more words uh, around generosity than stewardship, and those are things that we try to rehearse, not as often, but rehearse from time to time because, in particular, the music team, people don't realize they really Uh, have an opportunity, uh, in particular, if you have like a praise and worship style, as opposed to a choir, but even with choirs, they really share a lot of language and a lot of information with the congregation and just making sure there's not a miscommunication. So if I'm hanging with you for an entire worship experience, that the music team communicate one thing, the liturgist communicated another thing, and the sermon communicated another thing. And so I'm leaving saying, okay, I heard three different things. Which one do you want me to follow?
1: Oh, that is is genius. Because I think about all the details that sometimes we overlook. And what somebody takes from that worship service, whether it's explicit or implicit, they're going to take away those three (laughs) things. And they are like, well, which one is it? But you're creating this cohesive thing, not just in the sermon, but Mm -hmm. in announcements, in call the worship in generosity versus stewardship you're you're creating this whole like like, even you saying the word experience you're creating this whole experience that's not yes there's a sermon but it's the whole thing that surrounds that as
0: well yeah and a lot of churches use a worship bulletin we historically have never printed a bulletin not because we're against it and we found from COVID 19 a lot of churches are, are shifting away from it or printing them on demand But we do have a text sheet. We use a software called uh, Planning Center, where it gives us the details of everything we need. And so whoever is responsible for any part of worship has that. And once again, it has the sermon notes. It has uh, songs and a number of things, uh, announcements. And so um, to the congregation, it should feel like a flow. But to us internally, it still should feel like a flow, but it's a managed flow that we're uh, we're able um, to walk through because we have our own cue cards.
1: Yeah. Have you found having all those details and like when everybody knows yeah. the exact next step and you've walked mm-hmm. through it on Sunday morning, does that give you kind of more freedom to kind of go, I don't say go off script, but if mm-hmm. spirit leads you in one direction, you yeah. know, that the next step is from B to C and B and a half is can, we can go this direction.
0: That does happen. And for me, I believe. The spirit is present in the preparation and also the execution of it. But there are times when the execution looks different than the preparation. And our hope as a team is that we don't get locked into the preparation part. And as the spirit is moving differently or uh, other things occur that we need to respond to in the moment. We've had some days where the night before there is this global tragedy or there's this huge celebration. And one of the things I've taught leaders um, in the local church, if I'm visiting your church for the first time and it's Sunday morning, and the night before in the community, there was this terrible house fire where unfortunately several people were killed. And I live in the community. I've never been to your church, but I know your church is in the community and it's not very far from the fire. And I'm with you for an hour and change and you never mention this fire. I'm probably not gonna come back anymore because you're not connected. Uh, Not only are you not connected to the world, you're not connected to the community that you can walk to. And the same is true for other global celebrations and global events, good, better and different. And so that can alter the experience. And we've really had to do that um, the night before and during. um, And we've also had to change some things because of the way it was communicated, perhaps we could do it differently or better. So always being open to rethinking, revising, and pivoting. Pivot is a big road for us. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I, and I'm sure that Sunday morning helps a ton because, okay, mm-hmm. you, let's say something happens Saturday evening, you yeah. rework your sermon and yeah. you're like, well, it's not like we come in Sunday and we just have to wing it. We're, we're doing that an hour and a half before the service mm-hmm. starts. So we can, yeah. we can pivot. Um, yes. Oh, yeah, Yeah. that's so good.
0: So those things happen and we live into that. We tried, though, in our culture not to make it a habit of making too many changes in any of the experience right before. Because what I found, and I don't know if you've experienced this, you know, ministry is great. And as preachers, we have a, a ton of different colleagues and one of the things that happened to me that I saw happen to other colleagues is we would wait too late to prepare. And that became a behavior pattern. And I think the same way we can make that adjustment um, of preparing earlier, we can also um, make the adjustment uh, with our teams and colleagues and hopefully be in a position to where we're not waiting until the last minute to do certain things.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, Because yeah, yeah. preparation I mean, w- once you have that idea of where you're going, I mean, then you can kind of be more free flowing because there's no fear of like, well, is Susie going to play? Is Susie going to play the piano after this or no? <laughs> like, you kind of know more.
0: Yes, yeah, very much. Yeah,
1: so. yeah. All right, so I want to talk about pivoting. I want to pivot for a second. Um, I know that that you're transitioning uh, out of being the the lead pastor from Impact. Is that is that the right the right term, lead pastor? Yes. Okay. Um, so you're transitioning from lead pastor and your final Sunday is June.
0: June 26 is my last Sunday.
1: June 26, your last Sunday. So, and we are in the United Methodist Church and we're walking through uh, itinerancy system and pastors change around this time of year, June, July. Um, so what has it been like preaching, knowing you're transitioning into something
0: new? Great. Um, I actually had a great opportunity to help plant a new church. So our church is 15 years old. And the honest truth is when we were first starting, I knew after about a decade, I would be transitioning. So I'm about five years late. But a couple of years ago, the spirit really just convicted me to say, oh, Lou, remember the plan. So we reached out to our bishop and district superintendent. And so what's happening on June 26 is really an evolution from the very beginning and honoring that and recognizing that. But I'll be honest with you, when we made the announcement a year ago that this would happen, my mindset shifted and to the point that we put a countdown on the wall of the number (laughs) of Sundays. So currently uh, after this Sunday, I will have eight Sundays left. And so I've seen it go from double digits to now single digits and then there's going to be another filling after them at four and three and two and one and what's interesting is the sunday before my last sunday is father's day and uh from my tradition in texas it's a celebration called juneteenth when the slaves in texas finally got the word that they were free so you know it's just so many emotions so many feelings going on Um, The bishop has appointed one of our team members who's on our staff as an appointed clergy to be the next uh, senior pastor. And and so it's just a a time of celebration, a time of reflection. But the feeling I feel the most is deep reflection and appreciation because my journey has been such a blessing of starting, you know, so early um, and now being at this point in my life where According to my mother, I'm always going to be a preacher. <laughs> but uh, not having this routine that we're talking about, and I'll be honest with you, I think for the first couple of weeks, I'm probably going to wake up panicked on Sunday morning, thinking, <laughs> "You know," yeah. until I get it out of my system. Oh
1: yeah. Oh god. So what is, what is it like? So when you see those numbers go down, and you're you're about to stand up and preach, and I, and I'm sure you're counting down. I have. You know, six more sermons left, five more sermons left. What what is it like standing up and preaching to to something that you helped birth? Um,
0: Yeah, for me, it is the opportunity of knowing this is happening without it happening without knowing, and that creates a different responsibility to say, okay, Olu." if you have nine more opportunities, and really I'm not even preaching all nine. (laughs) I think out of the nine, I'll preach um, six or seven, uh, because other team members will be preaching. So Olu, hey, if you got five or six more opportunities before folks in this context, what is God telling you to share? And so in May, I'm gonna start a new series, four installments. It's uh, entitled uh, The Risk of Fear. And so the first week, um, I'm sorry, it's risking fear is one, but we're going to talk about risk in general. So the first week is about risking faith. And then the the second week is uh, risking fear. and, And then the next week is risking forgiveness. And then the final is risking failure. And so I'm going to talk about each of these forms of risk from biblical characters. You know, the first Sunday that we're doing it is Mother's Day. And so we're going to talk about Jacobek, Moses's mother, and his sister, Miriam, and Pharaoh's daughter, these three women who risk faith in unique ways to help Moses become who we know him to be throughout history's time. And so then I'll go into June and do something similar, not necessarily a series, but helping the congregation reflect on where we started and where we are. And I really feel a deep responsibility around helping them to stay as much as possible, focused on the future. And one of the things that we've said in our church as a new church is we've written very few things in pen. Most of what we've written is in pencil, meaning when this day comes, which we knew it would, Don't be held to what worked in the past. Thank God for it. But trust that there is a new frontier for this new wave of leaders uh, in our church. So that's a lot of what I'll be preaching in content. Yeah.
1: Gosh. I will definitely be watching that because that's going to be, that sounds so interesting, especially in the middle of transition. And Mm -hmm. uh, gosh, How, how are... How are you helping prepare the next, your staff, since it's a staff person yeah. or a clergy person, how yeah. how does I, that kind of work these next six, seven Sundays?
0: Yeah, well, once again, going back to this two-year beginning uh, earlier of having uh, this discussion with the denomination leadership and some other key leaders, and then we started sharing it internally. And so part of what I did was, which was what was done for me by a previous clergy person that I worked for who retired during my time there, is I started giving away everything. Um, And that meant wisdom. That meant time. That meant preaching opportunities, um, bringing individuals into certain meetings around church finance, church development, um, relationship building, but not bringing them in so I can say, hey, this is what I know. What do you know and how do we learn together? So one of the things I've seen over the years is mentors make a difference and exposure makes a difference. And you can be as smart um, as uh, a genius and be a genius. You can know in our system, the book of discipline um, and all of those kind of things but nothing beats experience and exposure. And so that's been the work of preparation: is making sure not only our clergy team, but our staff and our key volunteers, we're exposing and learning from each other, knowing uh, that this transition is coming.
1: Sounds like you've created this. I mean, in these fifteen years, it's been this like culture of. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's something in the body, and and there's something in the Kool Aid there uh, mm-hmm. that's like yeah. it's not about <clears throat> me. It's not about just my particular gifts, but. You know, yeah. we're going to get together on Thursday and we're going to learn yeah. from each other. Uh, I want to invite other people into this room uh, so that when I, cause you, you've had this idea 10 years from the very beginning of, I know that I'm not going to be here for, you know, I've yeah. got this 10 year plan and you've created this kind of, I'm hearing this culture of like giving away and learning together yeah. uh, and and particularly in preaching too. I think that's yeah. just, that's just beautiful.
0: <clears throat> One of my passions is construction and I have had a fortune fortunate experience of seeing houses constructed, but also being a part of a remodeling of this current building we're in. And one of the things I learned is if you have this vision of multiple floors, uh, you may not be able to afford the vision, but you build floor number one with the conduit uh, the conduit behind the walls um, and all of the things that you'll need for the second floor, even though you can't afford it. Um, and they're kind of hitting behind the sheetrock, they're hitting behind the walls. But then when that next group comes and they say, wow, it's time to go to the second floor, then all they do is open the wall and here's everything that they need. And I think that's uh, a leadership style I've adopted uh, historically of saying, okay, we know we're this Moses generation and we're we're gonna get so far. What do we need to institute? What do we need to install and prepackage so that the next generation just simply walks into the promised land. And when I say simply, I don't mean it's easy. There are always challenges uh, from the next generation, but we've pre-wired, that's the word that I'm missing uh, for construction. We pre-wired it for success.
1: Yeah, Joshua's coming. Oh, Mm. yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. What a good image.
0: (laughs) There's this famous story of Moses going up the mountain to meet with God. And uh, some of the elders are there and Joshua's there, but the elders stay uh, down at the ground level, but it says Joshua goes up. And so often when we read uh, the book of Joshua, we can think it just happens. No, Joshua was mentored
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, into that position. and um, And so many others in the biblical text, men and women we celebrate and i think as leaders if we are really serious about our legacy um it has to show through taking time um we often say the next generation but in many cases it's with colleagues and friends and peers because you never know when next happens and next unfortunately we've seen over this last 2 years comes quite often and at a time when we don't expect it
1: yeah 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 oh god it reminds me of I was watching a documentary once about sword making and mm. this, there was an expert sword maker who did it for 70 years, mm-hmm. but he had somebody that followed along behind him and he was telling him how to heat the iron. Yeah. Um, how do you, you know, <clears throat> do your blacksmith thing and, and hit it against yeah. the the anvil. And he said, one of his greatest hopes is that the person that comes after him does it better. Wow. Uh, and uh, it was mad. just a beautiful, beautiful image yeah. uh, of like this history of sword making of 1500 years And he said he was just a little, he was 70 years of that. Mm. Uh, And that's what I I hear from you. You are that expert swords maker Mm. that's trying to prepare the next swords maker. Um, Oh yeah, that's that's so beautiful.
0: You know, once again, great fortune to plant a church. I think uh, leading existing churches or starting new churches wherever, you know, ministry places you is a blessing. But I think there's a uniqueness of being in a first generation of, uh, of a church and there's one of our sister churches i love going to their fellowship hall and they have the historic pictures of the early um generations and they have all these weird looking clothes and you know they're standing you know differently and all this kind of stuff and i've told our our church over the years we're that group where 70 years from now people will not say what are those smartphones they're holding what are you know <laughs> what are those, mm-hmm. you know, laptops and iPads. what is this? What is this? What is but, Facebook? <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. What's <laughs> all social media stuff? You know, or cars uh, that drive on the ground. But what they won't be able to laugh at is the value of legacy and hope and faith and a strong foundation. And they'll be grateful. I pray, and that's what. I believe preaching is all about, we won't be around forever, but for the time that we have to speak hope, have we been faithful and know and trust that the voices that will come after us will build. And like the, the craftsman said, we'll be better.
1: Oh, that is that. Should we say, give a benediction now? Oh my oh, gosh. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Are there any final thoughts uh, for preachers who are listening um, that you might have?
0: Yeah. Um, Preach always like it's your last time. And if you do that, you'll always give it your best. And I don't say that to be morbid or to be um, a person who paints a picture of, you know, You never know when this is, you know, your last day on earth kind of situation, but preach as if it's your last time, whenever you get an opportunity to preach and don't think of preaching in one context. There are folks who are listening, who live in cities where there's public transportation and you're at the bus stop and someone asks you a question, that's a sermon, or, um, there's an elder in your home or community or church and you're serving them communion and they say preacher what did you talk about last week and on a couch you go over the sermon that is just as much of a sermon as being billy graham or td jakes and preaching the millions sitting on a couch with an elderly person sharing communion and telling them your three points in your poem so The takeaway is always preach like it's your last time and never underestimate the preaching moment, regardless of the context. It's all important. It's all valuable and it's all spirit-led. Give it your best. Oh,
1: gosh. Oh, that is so good. Um, Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I I have one more question, a quick question. um, And then I think we're almost at our time. But um, (laughs) what is a book that you've read in the last six months has been meaningful or impactful to you? Um, maybe it'd be a commentary, a children's yeah. book. Uh, w- what would be that one book that you would suggest for people?
0: Yeah, growing up, um, well, I guess in my 20s or so, I, I would watch a, a lot of uh, public broadcasting, and still do. But a uh, gentleman, he's deceased now, Dr. Wayne Dyer. And um, he wrote this book some years ago, back in the 70s. And it's called Your Erroneous Zones. And these erroneous zones are behaviors or thoughts that uh, get in the way of our optimal best. So it may be fear. It may be uh, overthinking. It may be um, being too concerned about what people feel or think about us. And so um, I finished that coming uh, into this year. And it was something I talk about therapy a lot. I have a therapist and it was a book that my therapist had mentioned some years ago. And it was interesting. We kind of circled back to it in a recent therapy session. And I picked it up. And here's what's so interesting. One of the things that we unpacked a lot in therapy, and you would think by this age and stage, I would have this down, but just being yourself. (laughs) And um, this book came from a thrift store. And it was signed by Dr. Wayne Dyer. And it was signed uh, just a couple of months before I was born. And uh, what it said was the person's name and it said, just be you. And it was almost as if God was speaking to me uh, through a person who had signed this book three, four decades ago, I'm 44. And and, uh, on an airplane, we never met. But the same word he gave then was the same word that my therapist and I had been working on, which is be yourself and it's okay. And so, um, that is what has been inspiring me of late. And, um, so that's one book. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Oh gosh. What a, what a good story. The, the erroneous zones. That's, that's yes, yeah, your, your, your,
0: erroneous your erroneous zones. Your erroneous zones. Dr. Wayne Dyer. Oh, wow.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Alu, thank you for sharing um, all <clears> of your <throat> wisdom and knowledge and time and gift and Oh, there's there's so many nuggets. I'm going to have to go back and listen to this uh, again because I appreciate it.
0: Well, is it okay if I plug my new book resources? Yes, in, okay? yes, please. Yes yes, right. yes, 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 yes. Well, hopefully, each of you will follow me on social media, Olu Brown. You can also go to my website, OluBrown.com, O L U B R O W N.com. Uh, follow me on social media. Um, also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. And when you go to my website, several book resources, but the latest is um, Normalizing Next, a post-COVID-19 resource for church leaders. It's a book and a guidebook, and it's nuts and bolts, great wisdom for church leaders, churches, small group, large group, individual study about how to have a healthy and a vital church in a post-pandemic world. Don't quit. Don't give up. We are living in the greatest evangelistic season of our lifetimes, The best is yet to come. And hopefully you'll check out that new book resource.
1: Oh yeah, we're gonna we'll, we'll put that up on our on social media. Thank for, you. The, the link to it too. Oh
0: gosh. Thank you. Great being oh, here with you, buddy.
1: Yeah, definitely.